Hello and welcome. My name is Steven and I'm here with my co-host and wife, Jenny. Hey everyone. And you are listening to the Short-Term Rental Markets Podcast where each month we're gonna be highlighting a different market and taking a deep dive into what information you need to know to launch a successful short-term rental in that area. We're passionate about helping hosts just like us find the best locations and connect with the people who will help kickstart your journey. We'll find the local experts who can save us all time and money as we look for where to purchase our next rentals. Well, welcome to episode two. Two. We back. Hello. Uh, I know we made it through episode one. We didn't just make it through. Crushed episode. We crushed it. <laughs> and uh, so we think. I know. So we think. Unfortunately, it did not result in us getting picked up by any like major networks. No, no sponsors yet. No. But I mean, I would figure that out. You're welcome because you don't have to listen to commercials. Yeah. Yeah, so. you don't have to listen to like the worst thing in podcast history. It's like this show is sponsored by and then like some obscure dog food brand. It's like right in the middle of the right podcast. The yeah. But uh, but yeah, we're really, really excited. Um, this episode two really is is going to give you a more clear picture of what the podcast will look like overall. And we're yeah. going to be taking a, um, a really deep dive into a market we are passionate about, uh, the Poconos, and um, have uh, I've got uh, a local expert we're excited to share. But before that... Jenny, how is stuff going in our world with our short-term rental right now? How's everything been going? You know, everything's been going really well, except for the bears. bears. We have a bear that, I don't know if it's the same bear. I was going to say a bear. Or if it's a bear or maybe multiple that really like our trash cans. Yeah, Yeah. literally every night this week. Yeah. I've been getting into it. And we put like a lock on, like the, you know, like the the cables that lock the lid shut and... They don't tore, care. Yeah, tore it off. Yeah, we. So. Uh, I don't even know if you know this, but part of the uh, in one of the Facebook groups that like our HOA is, uh, someone has named one of the bears Lowrider because he is he or she. I won't uh, won't decide, but uh, uh, this bear is so big that its belly is like two inches off the ground. Um, oh man, it's yeah, it's like a scene out <laughs> I didn't of Wall-E. Know that. Yes, that's it, hilarious. Pretty intense. Uh, not only that, like, there's a bear called Lowrider and is eating so much garbage that it's obese. <laughs> Stomach, but is also so the low fact the it probably could still outrun me kind of terrifies me. But uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to race it. But yeah. So if you have a house with a bear problem, and the other problem is like we're in an HOA that won't actually let you have like have, yeah, bear proof so, yeah lids. trash cans. They say like all of the all of the garbage cans have to be HOA approved, which are like these flimsy pieces Plastic of paper. Ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's been epic. Good thing we have a great understanding guest. Yes, who have and a team out there that has helped us clean it up yeah. when we cannot. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So the next thing we're gonna jump into is a section we are calling bossy. Bossy. Bow- I'm bossy. Wow, I love how you said that. Um <laughs> we're excited. We have scoured the globe for the most demanding or just most confused yeah. uh short-term rental guests. And uh and we got a real, a real good one for this month. Uh Jenny, you wanna share? Share the story for this month. Yeah, I think this month is more of a cu- a confused guest. Um, this one comes from Heidi. Heidi, thank you for submitting this to us to share. Um, she said, I had to get my 16-foot ladder to take down a big clock um, because it was too loud for my guest. When I got out to the van with the clock, there were no batteries in it. She, The guest said that she had slept much better without the ticking noise for the rest of her stay. 
<laughs> she yes. was very confused guest. Yes, that's so good. I love it. There's so many layers to that story. One, a 16-foot ladder is no joke. No. That's a bit. That's, that's not a, like a step stool. Yeah, that's a tall wall. So dedication to Heidi. Well yes. done. And the second thing um, was that the guest acknowledged uh, uh, she, I was looking at some comments from Heidi later on in that in that post after she had submitted that, and the guest actually sent her a message thanking her because she was sleeping so much better. Yep. Uh, after the clock was gone, and Heidi didn't even tell her that. Listen, lady, it wasn't even working because there were no batteries. Yeah. So Heidi, good on you. Yep. Way to be a super host. Yeah. Way to be a rock star host. And now we just know that there's some person out there traveling the world, hearing phantom. phantom cool. I know which. <laughs> Is a Disney movie, right? I think. Probably. Uh, Peter Pan, right? That's a... Oh, yeah. That is the thing. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Tangent. Yeah, hook. <laughs> anyway, um, as I said, we are really excited to get into this interview this week. Uh, um, it is with a local expert out there, a real estate agent. His name is Mark Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, came highly recommended and uh, has infinitely yeah. more knowledge than Jenny and I do. And uh, I think uh, there is so much helpful information in this. So... Get your uh, notepad out or your note app on your phone and get ready for some amazing information on the Poconos. Great advice. Yeah, great advice out in the Poconos. So enjoy. I'm super excited to introduce uh, to you guys Mark Shea. He is uh, a real estate agent out there, and uh, we actually got linked up with him uh, from a recommendation of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And uh, me and him got to connect on a a short little phone call uh, uh, before this, and I, I was... Like that, yes, that 20 minutes made up for like 200 hours of research that I try to do on Google. So anyway, Mark, yes. we are excited you're here and and uh, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about your story and um, what you do out there. Sure. Well, happy to be here and uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I've been a realtor for a couple of years up in the Poconos. Uh, my focus has been on vacation homes because I have one and it was built by the Blue Mountain Ski Resort. We had it as a, our family's second home. It was uh, where my kids learned how to ski and ride dirt bikes and where my dog learned to drive the golf cart. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, over the years, kind of uh, as everybody gets older and, and starts moving on, we thought, well, let's try putting it on the rental market. So we listed it on Verbo. It started doing really well. We actually, as, as a funny little aside, we also have a section of our yard that we list on hip camp no way as a camp as a campsite that's cool so uh pandemic hits and the industry that i was in uh recruiting international students for universities kind of died and so Mm. i got my real estate license then started to focus on people who were interested in maybe doing what i did and taking a vacation home and, and renting it short term so i got up to speed with all the rules and regulations and the ordinances and the zoning restrictions, put that up on a website and, uh, which you guys found and that, uh, has gotten my business off to a blazing start. Yeah. Wow. I feel like even off that, so many questions you said you yes. do that the corner of your yard you do is like, is it just tent? Do you provide any, any sort of like amenities or anything? Or is it like literally bring a tent and set it up? It's, uh, we, we, it's, so the, uh, the lot itself is 47 acres. We've got a house on part of it. And then the back section kind of in out in a ridge, uh, we put a platform like a 16 by 24 foot. You might call it a deck. I think technically for camping, it's a platform, put a couple picnic tables, uh, pop up, uh, 
lean to and uh, you know like a 10 by 10 pop-up and uh, people hike back there and we give them 10 gallons of water and firewood wow. and they just hang out for a couple of days uh, off the grid. That is a great idea. Yeah, I, that's really cool. I love that. So just to... yeah, so it's hip camp. I'll put a plug in for hip camp. If you've got a yard and you don't want to deal with uh, <laughs> short-term rental yeah. ordinances, consider hip camp with a single campsite. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that. So just to clarify that you had purchased a home out there just as a second um, uh, just as a second house for you guys enjoyed the skiing out there and, and that and then um, yeah, what what made you I guess in the first place want to want to use it as a short term rental? I think it was lack of using it. Okay. So mm-hmm. kids weren't quite coming around empty nest. Grandkids were a little too far away. Yeah. So we were, were spending less time up there and we decided uh, let's give it a shot at running and, and running just took off. Yeah. And I think location and then the lessons we learned to become a good host, yeah. uh, have all kind of built a thriving business for the, for the one unit. And then career wise, I'm making a choice. Do I get more units, yeah. become an investor, develop into a short-term rental operator, or do I go and take that knowledge and become a realtor and see if I can help other people do the same. So, I like to say I don't compete with my clients. I'm yeah. not in the investment market. I'm helping them understand, you know, uh, what it takes to to buy a property, find a property that would likely do well, and then also understand the whole regulatory climate uh, around it. Yeah. Which the Poconos, is, as as you guys have discovered, and and others sort of ponder. It's municipal, so by township or by borough, each has its own zoning restrictions, each has its own license requirements. There are nuances amongst for occupancy, minimum stay, and the like. And every, you know, we have 20 or 30 different townships in the four counties that make up the Pocono area. So it, apples to apples is a little tough thing to do when you're looking at a house because then you have the variable of, of rules and regs that yep. come with the license, yep. mm-hmm. as well as if you're in a planned community, which most of the area is, these vacation home communities, uh, each of those has rules and regs, registering your guests, whether you pay per person, whether you pay per group, whether you pay per day, whether you just pay per stay, yeah. Yeah. all of that. Kind of, it's, it's operational detail, but mm-hmm. for some who are very detail-oriented, they all want to know. Yep. Yes. Yep. And, we'll, and that's why I put those scorecards up on the web. So yeah, and we'll, know, short-term rental friendly scorecards by municipality and by community. Yeah. Uh, at least give a snapshot and a red, yellow, or green indicator as to you know, my take on whether it's a good idea to try putting short-term rental there. Yeah. And for those interested, as you're listening to this, Mark, I, I, that website was super, super helpful. And, and A, I just cannot imagine the amount of time it took for you to, to collect to all of that yeah. information <laughs> it, it is it's true and it's like us being uh jenny and i live out in seattle on the west coast and and yeah. so the whole concept of townships and boroughs is not yeah it doesn't it doesn't really exist over here no. so so the when, idea yeah. that you've got like state regulations then i don't know like county, county township then city then your ho it was like we uh, were not familiar at all with that so you're and and we'll link um uh, anyone who who wants access to that website or we'll we'll make sure and link it in the show notes it was incredibly helpful yeah would have saved us a lot of time. Well, good. Then it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a work in progress. I get other realtors who, you know, like to inform me that I may have missed something or I, and I lately even seem to get some of the community managers who will 
you know, update me on their policies, oh, wow. which is great because no one else has been able to kind of consolidate that information and, and make it a, you know, one-stop shop. Yeah, yeah. So you're a real local resource. <laughs> yeah, for real. All righty, Mark. So let's yeah. get to the first question. Um, let's talk about the market overall over there. What's the draw to the Poconos? Like, what's the seasonality over there? So uh, because it's been around for decades, right, and generations, I mm -hmm. guess, even, uh, the, the original development, much of it happened in the 60s and 70s. You know, America's getting second cars and starts getting second homes. Yeah. And as middle class hits, uh, developers come make man-made lakes, put a thousand or two lots around it and build these little summer cabins. And that's a lot of what the Poconos was originally developed as, oh, okay. is essentially weekends and summer getaway mm -hmm. for people in New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia, central Pennsylvania. Yeah. So yeah, there's 47 million people within three hour drive. Wow. Which makes it, you know, pretty nice as far as opportunity. Uh, at the same time, that's 47 million people who are only three hours from going home as well as coming yeah. here. And yeah. you run into this. It's a, an area that does super well on weekends. Mm -hmm. And the challenge, if you're going to try to be in the, the rental business, right, you do weekends, you're only you're less than 30 percent occupants. Yeah. Ultimately, to make money at this and do reasonably well, I think you got to get above 50 percent. Yeah. And in order to do 50%, you got to start to think about how can we get guests to stay for longer? Can we get them to stay for five days or seven days? And uh, if you can find a way to do that, then you're definitely going to do well at this. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck with having to just get the, the weekend business. Yeah. Can I, can I ask real quick, as um, a real estate agent, thinking through that of like, man, uh, it, you know, the, the, the standard scenario is like people staying for a weekend. How does that impact when you've got people looking for homes, um, thinking about how to get them to stay for five, seven days? Like if that is a factor out there, what, what are you doing in that process to think through what, what, it, yeah, I guess, what does that look like for different homes that you're looking at? How does that impact that search? So it, it comes to the old question, is the home near a destination or is it a destination? Mm. And you ask that question. And then as you try to outfit your place, what is it that people like? What is it that'll keep them busy on a rainy day? They can't go down to the lake or they can't go over to the pool or they can't go down the river. Uh, what are they going to do? So do you have a game room? Do you have uh, a second kitchen if you've got multi-generations? Mm -hmm. Can you handle multiple families under one roof? Can you have more than one generation from given family? And our, our place we just had someone who had the greatest week because it was the first time the family ever had four generations under one roof. Wow. Right. That so is exciting. The little great grandbaby was there and everybody Aww. was super excited and they wanted to stay a week right? Yeah. because they hadn't seen each other. You know, so in addition from being near 47 million, which is kind of Philly, New York, New Jersey, you also get within six hours. Now you get up into Boston or you get down into Northern Virginia I don't forget what the number is there population-wise, yeah. but it's like 60 people. So people will drive three hours for a weekend. They'll drive five or six hours for a week. Yeah. And so if your property can be outfitted to have bigger groups, so rather than the stereotypical three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,200-square-foot mm -hmm. cabin, if you can start to get to 2,500 
square feet and four or five bedrooms or six bedrooms even, those places all of a sudden the math starts to work out much better yeah. uh, as an investment. So yeah, they cost you a little bit more. You know, I think is uh, there, there might be a correlation that an average home might get $250, $300 a night, but you get to $500,000 home, you're probably able to rent it for 600 a night. Yeah. If you get to a million dollar home, you might be able to rent it for 1400 a night. And with the longer stay, with the more space, they'll tend to stay longer as well. So you can yeah. kind of overcome that weekend barrier and, and find a way to get to that 50% threshold, which seems to be the magic spot for folks. Yeah, that's super good advice. When we were when we were looking out there, the first few homes that we made offers on were in that three, two range. We, we ended up getting a four, two. Um, and, uh, and just with, with the more, like literally when you said three bed, two bath, 1200 square feet, I was like, oh my gosh, that was like every, that was like, right. And <laughs> it was like everything, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so yeah, many of those. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Right. If it's a frame or chalet, it's mm-hmm. going to look cute. It's going to have that cabiny feel that everybody seems to want mm-hmm. and it'll command more on the sale price. And it also certainly command more on the rental price yeah. because everybody wants to have that photo by the fireplace with the big lofty yeah. area and the, yes. you know, the, the Labrador sitting by your side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about this. When I look at some of the homes out there, I'll see, you know, the, the current asking prices, we'll just say like three, three twenty, whatever. But then I'm looking out there and seeing like, five years ago, maybe what that exact home sold for and seeing just like, cra- I mean, craziness has been happening, obviously, in the market all across the country. But talk to us about kind of the history of real estate out there. And specifically, um, if you can speak to anything that you've seen happen in the short term rental space in the last three to five years, what what that has looked like. So COVID, no doubt, has been good for business, you hate mm. to say, but it yeah. really drove a lot of people to the market. So, you know, Three, four years ago, probably no different than five years ago as far as pricing goes. It's an okay place to go. It's, you know, it's got four seasons because you've got ski areas and you've got winter sports as well as the summer. COVID hits and people's behavior changes to the point where you want to be close to home. You want to have your car nearby. You want to kind of get away, but not get too far away. You got to be able to get back home for an emergency or kid might have a requirement or might have to go to work. So that certainly had a couple of gangbuster years as far as renting goes and occupancy goes. Mm -hmm. And it also seemed to draw some attention to the 47 million people with a three hour drive. And that got people coming, you know, perhaps like you guys from out of town uh, saying, well, this is much better than a. Tennessee or Ozarks or Blue Ridge or something that uh, because, you know, one of the things that investors like is that there's a fallback, right? If here, because it's not just vacation homes, it's extended suburbs in some ways from New York, right? You can hop on a bus from Stroudsburg and get to Port Authority Terminal with a nonstop bus they run like every 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Really? Uh-oh. And you get there in two, two and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. So, and you're on a bus and you can get a monthly pass. And so I think that has gotten a lot of people to say, I can live in that area, raise my kids in that area. So you've got that as a fallback, even if you fell flat on your face with short-term rental, 
Yeah. There's enough people who live there year round, enough long-term rental market that your investment just isn't going to die. Yeah. And it because long-term or migration coming into the area, your value is going to hold. And then we certainly saw the surge with people wanting to move in as well as wanting to invest it. And so I think that has pushed demand much higher than anybody thought it could go. And I don't think it's going to let up. Yeah. Um, the area for the, you know, if you look back historically, we saw a similar big surge after 9-11. Yeah. So the period between 2001 and 2009, the area experienced a large growth of people mm. moving predominantly from the Metro New York, New Jersey area, coming out because Route 80 or Route 78 will take you right out. Uh, and then you're able to get back, but still be in a whole world by yourself. So we've seen that same kind of migration pushing into the area. Okay. And that's increased demand. It's also put pressure on these vacation communities where some of them are actually changing their identity. And so ones on that eastern end of the, the region closest to the New Jersey border are seeing some pushback and some restrictions on the vacation aspect yeah. of short-term rental because they got kids and they live there and they got to go to work mm -hmm. at eight in the morning and they don't want to be uh, witnessing celebrations next door. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Do you feel like... Um, uh, Again, you kind of talked about the the homes holding value, uh, and and again, we're kind of rubbing the crystal ball of saying like, <laughs> what could happen? Um, but but like just from from an outside perspective, that the values of there seem like they have gone up just exponentially higher than a lot of other markets that we've seen. Yeah, um, you know, we're talking like the the home that we ended up moving forward with. I think was like hundred. We paid three ten. I think that 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 previous time it was sold, you know, five six years ago was um, was around a hundred thousand, maybe even below that. Um, I, I mean, what what do you feel like? Uh, is is it just kind of the demand for the vacation rental market? I'll, I guess you kind of walk through that the people moving out there, all that. Um, uh, but it just yeah, maybe and maybe it was even just the area we bought in, which we will kind of get into some of the HOA stuff. But um, but that's just such a huge swing. When we saw it, I was just like, wow, that it was just really shocking to see. So I don't know if you yeah, have any insights on that or um, thoughts on that, but we were just really shocked by the increase in value that, that some of the homes that we were looking at had seen in the last five, six years. Yeah. Well, there's just like in certain urban areas where you've seen gentrification. Yeah. You've got some aspect of that with these different communities up in the Pocahontas. Yeah. There are very nice neighborhoods uh, that uh, like Lake Naomi is, is a, sort of famous area where the million dollar, multi-million dollar homes, and they maybe haven't escalated as much in value because they're just second homes or primary homes and short-term rental is discouraged. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting that side of the business coming in. But if a neighborhood became open to short-term rental or started to see a swing from long-term to short-term as far as landlord focus, then you might see a big spike in prices like you saw. Because yeah. frankly, you know, if, if it was $100,000 before, there was a reason for that. Either the property was a little shabby or maybe the neighborhood was a little yeah. rundown. Yeah. And yeah. if you start to see some emphasis of owners coming in for, you know, short-term rental owners coming in, making their place a whole lot more attractive, it draws others just like 
urban neighborhoods would go through a sense of gentrification. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're definitely seeing that. It's crazy. We just yeah. had a house when I was like, Across the street, it's lakefront, but list for like seven hundred and seventy-five thousand. Yeah. I was like, if that sells for that, that would be, I mean, shocking. Yeah. yeah, but who knows? It's hey, lakefront is lakefront, or you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pro- we have something that we don't have, so yeah, across the street from <laughs> yeah. lake. <Maybe>. Yeah, <laughs> get digging. You know, maybe you can make a lake in your backyard. I know, I actually yeah. had no idea that a lot of those lakes out there were man-made. Yeah, we didn't either. Yep. Yeah. I didn't either. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, those crafty developers. Uh, one way to make a lot of money is uh, make it lakefront. So mm. find a creek, Smart. put a dam in there. Yeah. And next thing you know, <laughs> your lots are a whole lot more valuable. Yeah. For real. That's really cool. Well, um, uh, what would you feel like are, as people are looking out there, um, you know, uh, like the, the, if you were to try and narrow down the top three things people need to know before considering purchasing a home out there. And, and one of the, we've kind of, we've touched around it a little bit, but, um, uh, I'll take one of your top three, if you would be willing to speak on it. It's not really fair, but sure. the top three, and maybe one of them, if you can speak to just like the HOAs, that was yeah. probably the biggest headache for us was, mm-hmm. and I know you have a ton of resources on your website, which is helpful, but, um, but if there's, if there's HOAs, uh, whether, I don't know how specific you want to get, but just how to, how to approach the, um, um, looking at what HOAs to start looking at and which ones to avoid if there are any of that, or even how to start that. So the question was <laughs> top three things people need to need to consider before buying a home out there. Um, anything you want to speak to on the HOA front? Sure. So I think first and foremost, if, uh, safety and numbers. So if you're looking at, an HOA and or POA for property owner association uh, for the more the vacation home. And it's almost like an indicator. If it was an HOA, you kind of get a sense it's maybe more long-term residents or permanent residents. POA, maybe more vacation home. Mm-hmm. But try to get a, a sense of what percentage of the homes in the community are short-term rental, are licensed for that, are operating that way. And then you can start to see what those pay as far as the guests pay for like a user fee. So the, the lakes, the pools, the amenities all have a cost. Mm -hmm. Many of the communities pass that cost on to the guests, the guests pay either per capita or Mm -hmm. per stay. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a significant part of the revenue. If there's a fair amount of homes that are short-term rental. So if the guest fees start to make a fairly significant portion of their budget, then you could feel pretty safe that the HOA won't turn against you. Yeah. Yeah. If there's only one or two homes in a given community, and it's maybe a smaller community, then you run the risk of an incident being a a rowdy party, bad guests, uh, altercation with a neighbor, uh, incident down at the pool between some kids, uh, then the neighbors may just say, we don't want this and we don't need this with the mm. short-term rental yeah. opportunity. So since nobody really has one, we're only protecting ourselves by getting rid of it. But mm-hmm. if the follow the money and if the money says significant portion of this community is supported by guest fees, then I think you're in an environment where you're in a little bit more of a resort. You've got some standing because that guest revenue is key to the success of the community. That's great advice. That is really great advice. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think it's the communities, you always have that, well, I'd rather not be in an HOA. 
Yeah. Well, then you don't have a lake. Then you don't have a pool. Then you can't drive your golf carts around the street. Then yeah. you can't have that kind of resort feel and you lose the brand. Yeah. Right. Each of these communities, to some extent, has a brand, has some recognition. People have stayed there. There's a website that talks about the amenities. There's some control. Somebody's hiring a lifeguard. Somebody's maintaining a larger pool. So, you know, those, if you think of it in a resort context, those are the things that keep people coming and make your marketing of the property a whole lot easier than having to say, oh, I'm in Coolbaugh Township about five miles from the water park Kalahari yeah. and only a few miles away from Toby Hanna State Park. So that might be nice, but what happens every day and that means you got to get in a car and you got to go elsewhere as opposed to one of these resort style communities where we could just walk down to the beach or if somebody has to go back and use the bathroom if they want, they can just walk back or they can use the little one that's, you know, down by the beach. Yeah. 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 That's super good. What are um, outside of the kind of HOA conversation? What are a couple other things, um, again, thinking about potentially out of state investors or people who have never been to that area? um, uh, A couple of other things that you'd recommend people need to know before buying out there. So the Pennsylvania precedent, and I'm, you know, it's, I guess different in other states, but the state has said, the Supreme Court has said that homeowner has no inherent right to operate a business out of their home. That right is a privilege. That privilege is granted by zoning. Mm. So local zoning dictates what you can and can't do in the property uh, when it comes to commercial activity. So first and foremost, check with the township or the borough to see what the zoning allowances are for operating short-term rental out of a residential property. And that will also then dictate whether you can, based on the zoning, can or cannot apply for a permit. The municipalities have just about all adopted a short-term rental ordinance, which essentially is the rules and regulations for that community. That gets you a license. There's an initial inspection that will have definitions of occupancy that'll have some behavior requirements and things like no on street parking. Everything's, you know, there has to be enough parking. They'll Mm -hmm. talk about maximum occupancy. They'll define the terms of nuisance. They'll say, you know, the community may have um, quiet hours. They may have noise restrictions. And so that all gets part of the, the license process. So that's step two. You clear zoning, then you get your license. And then you get to deal with your HOA from a day-to-day operational component, right? Do you have to register your guests? Mm-hmm. Do, you have to re- yep. do you have to register yourself as a renter? Do you pay a fee? Do you have to register your guests? Do you have to register their cars? Do you have to register them? Do you have to oh. you know, fill out a web form for that? <laughs> yep, very familiar with that. You know that well, huh? Yes. It's such a pain. It is. What community is <laughs> What, what community is your house in? Uh, we purchased in a Pocono country place. Yeah. Got it. I was there today. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's oh, one of those okay. communities you talk about where um, we were pretty confident that, you know, it's like you see all these communities banning short-term rentals, but when you follow the money and say, man, if they cut this off, they are, they're cutting off an arm that, that feeds the body. Like yes. they're getting so much revenue right. from those short-term rental fees. So I, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they've gotten quite a lift, right? So that's one of those communities that's gone a shift from long-term to short-term. And the long-term landlords are very different than the short-term landlords. And the short-term landlords care a lot about 
the cleanliness and the safety and the mm-hmm. this and you know the the crowds at the pool and the speed at which you check in when you go to the the, the rental office and all those kinds of things mm-hmm. you know the the behavior has to change a bit when uh, you've got money with a different perspective yeah yeah yes. are there um are there any specific ho i know you kind of mentioned uh you know lake naomi as being a, a you know definitely and i've looked like homes upper class value um, uh, different amenities, much more resort. Like, are there, um, uh, any specific HOAs or any areas as people are starting to look that you would, that you maybe would recommend as, um, off the top of your head that you know of as maybe being more pro short-term rental or, or have, have gone through that shift you talk about? Well, uh, generally the townships and the communities that are on the Western end tend to be more rural. Mm-hmm. and tend to have governments that are less active in controlling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tao Trails, Indian Mountain Lake, Locust Lake Village, Arrowhead Lake, or some of the communities, uh, Emerald Lakes has been really successful, Pocono Farms, Stillwater Lake. Those are some of the communities that have seemingly thrived with short-term rental. Yeah have somehow found the balance of bringing money in and guests in, but not completely overwhelming the community. Very cool. That's real. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I think that, you know, those kind of top three things we talked about HOA, um, uh, HOA stuff. We talked about regulations specifically with, um, uh, you know, different townships and municipalities. Um, was there any, was there any other kind of third thing that you're thinking of that people should know before going out there? If not, we can, we can jump to, we got two more, two more questions in there, but, um, any other things that or any other thing that, that you feel like people should know before purchasing out there? No, I think that, well, I don't think you have to worry that there's no one to help you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. there just to be a growing number of co-hosts, property managers, yeah support folks over there uh, when it comes to cleaners and handy people. Uh, One of the little things in these ordinances that some people don't realize is that you almost always have to have a local delegate, somebody to be within 15 or 30 miles of the property Mm -hmm. in case something goes wrong for the guests, as well as in case something goes wrong for public safety. And that person somehow gets baked into your operations. So it, I suggest to people find maybe a neighbor, maybe a retiree who lives in the community mm-hmm. who might want to be your local delegate yeah. and yeah. use them as a pre-check-in walkthrough because you might have a gap. Let's say you have a gap in a week since your cleaners were in there. Yeah. You don't want to just have somebody come into a home that hasn't been touched in a week. Yeah. What yeah. if something is broken? What if the fire alarm battery died right yeah. uh those kinds of things so having yeah. somebody walk through the property a few hours before check-in just to make sure everything's okay keep an eye on things make sure nothing's dripping make sure you know yeah. they nobody yeah. the cleaners didn't leave the sheets in the dryer yes uh, all those kinds of things um it's just kind of bake that into your plans uh it will help with your licensing yeah, and it will also kind of quality control yeah yeah um uh, so one of the things, again, it's a little bit unique since we have experience out there, but, uh, but we ended up going under contract with, uh, two other houses. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so that was kind of, and they both kind of had similar issues. So that was kind of our next question for you is, um, what are some of the most frequent issues that you, um, see come up in inspection specifically for that area? Well, we have a lot of system, septic systems. Hmm. So, and since a lot of these houses are 40 and 50 year old, they might be the original septic system. Hmm. And so there's how do you really try to assess, do I need to replace it or can I just limp it along for a year or two? So Mm -hmm. familiarizing yourself with how those systems work and what the pros and cons to some of the testing are because none of the testing is really precise. A lot of times the testing depends on weather. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're you're trying to measure how much a ground could absorb as far as wastewater and if the ground is very dry, it's going to absorb really well. Yeah. And if the ground is saturated, it's not going to absorb well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things in, people may not initially realize that we have a lot of high water table because it's mountainous, but it's not huge mountains like you have out in, out west. Yeah. Uh, we have an awful lot of surface water, groundwater just below. And many of these homes are built on crawl spaces. And so the crawl spaces should have a dehumidifier in them. They should have heating in them so that the pipes don't freeze. But the old way of keeping them dry is maybe not the way you do it today. Mm -hmm. And so in some neighborhoods, the high water table means the crawl space is wet. Mm-hmm. Crawl space gets wet for a prolonged period of time. The insulation underneath the floor gets wet. The beams mm-hmm. get wet. The joists so sun start to deteriorate. Yeah. And so something always to check is the crawl space. Yeah. Yes. And not to go crazy over because I think we've got more crawl space repair companies than we do roofers. <laughs> right? Just yeah. because yes. it's such a it's such a common thing. It's a common we, problem. Uh, yeah. Right. I had a, a house that was going to replace 15 floor joists Ooh. and waterproof the crawl space. And it was 7,500 bucks. Oh, so cheaper oh. than a roof. Yeah. Right. But yeah. the thought of, oh my goodness, I need to get 15 floor joists replaced yeah. to some people would just be a panic. Yeah. Right. But it's just kind of common. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. recognizing that, you know, you, you that's probably look under before you look on top. Yeah, that was, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That was for us why we had to back out of two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two of those was. Yeah. Well, one of them was unknown amount of rot. Yeah. This so. was another just random, but the, the, yeah. I, I don't, you can speak to this more than I can, but um, uh, there's a like out, out in the Seattle area for crawl space insulation, we'll use like fiberglass insulation between the floor joists out there. We were seeing people were using spray foam to actually like seal the crawl space. I don't know if that's. Yeah. It's like the new way of. It because the, the fear is the old fiberglass insulation under the floor, yeah, you know, between the floor joists holds moisture. Uh, yeah, okay. what you the modern way of doing this now is put a vapor barrier on the bottom, seal the walls, insulate the walls, yeah. and then leave the floor, jo- the floor uninsulated, yeah. and then oh. heat the crawl space. Uh, okay. Interesting, but. But yeah, one of them, uh, they had done that, but the the rim joist had, was significantly rotted, but we had no idea how much rot there was because of all that spray foam. Um, it was 
it was unfortunate, but there was a lot ah, of rock. There's always floor jacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <for real>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was other things to the house too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we actually, we had to do that with the house we got anyway, because yeah. it had, but um, we, we found rotten and we did, we had to hire someone to come up and jack it up and replace. So yeah, it was yeah. on every home that we looked at out there. There was yeah. some, some stage of rot in the crawl space yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's just a, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely was surprising for us. But, um, well, Mark, we got one more question for you today. This has been so incredibly helpful. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, the way that we like to end all these is just uh, kind of looking at it. We call it the average Joe. Like the 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 average home cost out there as of July of 2022 um, was purchased for $296,000. Um, and imagining this <laughs> average investor coming in who, uh, you know, is going to do 10% down, doesn't have a ton of capital for big improvements, um, you know, kind of light, light renovations, paint and touch up stuff and, and purchasing a home for 296 or 300,000 specifically to use as a short term rental. Um, where would you recommend they start looking um, and what type of house with that budget would you recommend they they start looking for? Well, it sounds like you've hit the stereotypical and we talked a little bit about the three bedroom, two bath, 1200 yeah. square yeah. foot uh mountain cottage that is you know by the thousands in the area yeah. mm -hmm. uh areas that i think are popular have enough variety they're close enough to say the ski area the casino the big water park uh geographically you're looking in places like mount pocono uh and and surrounding long pond and then you get out a little bit more toward lake harmony the the prices may rise up a little bit because the homes will be a little bit newer and the communities will be a little more, we'll say, luxurious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's there's definitely a correlation in across the region that 300000 will get you the basic $250 a night opportunity for a rental. But as, as we touched on earlier, that's for the weekend business. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. if you want to do well, it, think about investing in something a little bigger with more bedrooms with more square footage maybe with a little bigger yard and the math starts to work where the three hundred thousand dollar home is 250 a night yeah five hundred thousand dollar home is 600 a night the million dollar home is 1400 a night so there's a, a curve where the bigger homes and the grander homes that can handle larger crowds will start to bring more revenue. There's a gentleman named Edward Louie, and if you look up his videos on YouTube, he goes in great detail about how the properties that he's done, adding bedrooms, mm -hmm. taking garages, turning them into game rooms, mm -hmm. making the places kind of a, a compound in their own, yeah. uh, yield not only higher room rate, but longer stays. And I think that's really where the, the biggest opportunity is, is to get over that, being average yeah mm -hmm. so that you can separate yourself from the hotels right the hotels yeah. are out there separate rooms and and the hotels don't charge a cleaning fee yeah like you True. you get these small average homes at 250 a night they rent for two nights and then you all of a sudden it's a 200 dollars 150 dollars cleaning fee well it's not 200 a night now now it's three and a quarter a night or yeah. 275 a night and now all of a sudden the hotel looks really cheap so it's true. I think that's the problem with renting small places is short durations. The, the margins are tight, super tight. Yeah. 
They can be. It's the big ones where I think big ones near an amenity in an area where there's some brand and recognition are likely the ones you do really well with. Yeah. Well, that was amazing yes. information. I, yeah. uh, a lot of great advice there. No, I can only wish we would have had, had something <laughs> like this. To, beforehand. Your next one. You'll come to me with your next yes, one. Yes. I know. We, we are will. <laughs> we we are and we are excited for um for yeah, I mean yeah, it's a for... it's a unique market since we have have one out there, but we definitely are excited to continue um uh, growing and and helping other people find places out there because it's been a wonderful experience. And yeah. even what you what you were saying about uh one of the biggest things we heard before jumping out there was like there's no like it's really hard to find a good team. Mm-hmm. Um and I will say you know it, it took a while uh um uh but the people that we have found out there are just uh, have been unbelievably helpful yeah. and um incredible. And, um, yeah, incredible cleaning team and handyman and maintenance. And and yeah. so it, uh, I think that people are responding as they see the need and the, the, the potential for them to start businesses alongside a short-term rental market grows yeah. out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's an element of trust, right? And Absolutely. so they have to trust you and you trust them and mm-hmm. that takes time yep. and effort. Not just going to be, I made a call or send an email and expect somebody to bend over backwards to help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are East Coasters after all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mark, it has been wonderful talking to you. And again, for anyone, um, uh, Mark is a uh, experienced real estate agent out there who I'm sure would love to help you find your next uh, or maybe your first short-term rental out there. And so if you are interested in getting in touch with Mark, we are going to put um, a link in the uh, show notes below this. Uh, Fill that out and we will will definitely get you in touch with Mark and uh, you can continue to dive into even more helpful information and experience. And Mark, thank you yes, so much for your time today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's been fun. Um, it's nice to get to know you guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks everyone for joining us for episode two. Please like and subscribe as next month we are jumping to the Joshua Tree area. See you then.